Welcome to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to run simple. Host and moderator Bonnie D. Graham talks with the experts about how game-changing technologies can help you achieve financial excellence for your company. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, this is where the best run. Let me start out with a quote here, an opening buzz quote. Let's see what we've got here. Something from CFO.com. Listen up. The planning process, planning, budgeting, forecasting, and analysis presents a formidable challenge to many companies, regardless of their size or industry. Sounds like this is an important challenge. So what are we talking about here on Financial Excellence with Game Changers? Let's look at some of the exciting advances in modern business technology. And one of those is a holistic approach to planning for an entire organization. This may be breaking news for you out there in our listening audience around the world, but we're talking today about CBP. You might not find it when you look it up and you Google it, but we're calling this Collaborative Business Planning, CBP. Many CFOs see this as a utopian dream, meaning it's a dream. It may be unattainable. Why? Well, CBP enables finance departments and financial planning and analysis professionals to take the lead on the planning process. Could be revolutionary, could be evolutionary, but they also get to collaborate closely with all of their line of business partners. This is the exciting part. Our panel today will talk about CBP myths and facts, and we'll try to decide if it is indeed the CFO's utopia. Welcome. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and I have a panel of three very, very smart people to help us figure this out. Let me tell you briefly who they are, and then we'll get started with their opening quotes. First up, I'm welcoming back a lady who's been on many of our financial excellence shows, rightfully so, Nilia Sadies, Senior Research Director, Finance and EPM Advisory Practice at the Hackett Group. Joining her are two newcomers. We have Yuval Atzmon, Senior VP, Advisory Sectors at a company called Globality, and we will find out what he does and what the company does. Rounding out the panel is a gentleman I've known for a long time at SAP, but he's never been on the radio, Pras Chatterjee, Senior Director of Product Marketing for Planning and Analysis, focusing on SAP Analytics Cloud and BPC at SAP. There are their credentials. So let's start out with the opening quote Nelly has sent us from Peter Drucker, 1909 to 2005, Austrian-born American management consultant, educator, and author. I didn't know this, Nelly, but he had 39 books he wrote, and they've all been translated into more than 36 languages, including two novels and an autobiography, and he co-authored a book on Japanese painting. Who knew? Here's the quote. In, in today's he was certainly a Renaissance man. In today's economy, the most important resource is no longer labor, capital, or land. It is knowledge. That's exactly what I would expect Drucker to have said. Nilia Sadies, how are you? I am doing just fine. I'm very happy to be back, Bonnie. We're happy to have you back. And I'm going to ask Matt to raise your volume just a little bit so I can hear you a little bit better. And Nilly, talk to me about this quote from Peter Drucker related to our topic of the utopia for CFOs. Go ahead. Well, the reason I chose the quote is because it is indeed all about knowledge. I don't know if uh, some of you may recall the Clinton campaign in 1992. Um, it was the, um, the campaign said it was the economy stupid. Sorry about that. Um, and I think right now we could say it's knowledge stupid. Um, really what it is, 
knowledge and not just knowledge, knowledge in its broader sense, knowledge in the sense of having access to data, big data, uh, cross-functional, across the organization and external to the organization, uh, very important, um, and the exchange of knowledge between peers. So not just the data, uh, the data supports a conversation, and that is a very important conversation that's happening between people at the same company and within uh, and, and other companies through in benchmarking um, so that they can have a broader view of what the organization is doing so they can plan better, so they can integrate their approaches and come up with better ways of meeting the strategic plan of the organization. I actually wrote a book talking about people who write books. I wrote only one, um, <laughs> and it was a while ago, but it's very appropriate, and it's, I think, very appropriate today. It was called If We Only Knew What We Know, and I co-authored it with the president and the CEO of the APQC, and it was basically about the internal transfer of knowledge and how companies can learn from different parts of the organization about best practices. And I think that's as relevant today as it was then in 1998. Um, and I think that's uh, the utopia that we're trying to reach, as you were saying, is um, the breaking the silos between functions, both from a data and from a conversational perspective. Very, very interesting, Nelly. I'm, I'm glad you got your book in there. Um, and, and you used the word about learning from other areas of the business. And I guess that's the collaborative part of CBP, collaborative business planning. Quickly, do you think it's a utopia? Is it real or is it uh, pie in the sky for CFOs? I don't think it's a pie in the sky. I think um, maybe you never reach the fullest level of it, but I see more and more of it going on with our clients. Um, I see more going on in part because there are now technologies that enable not just um, enable the breakdown between the silos of information that existed before and therefore enable better conversations between the different parts of the organization and the thinking of the planning process. So it's actually possible to create this collaborative planning process and come up with a plan that takes into account the operational, um, the financial uh, plan of the organization, and come up with something that is much more uh, grounded in reality um, and forward-looking. Thank you, Nilly. Great insights. Always good to have you on the panel. And now I'm going to go to our second panelist, who is a newcomer here, Yuval Atzmon. And Yuval has sent us a quote from Theodore Roosevelt, commonly known as Teddy Roosevelt, 1858 to 1919. He was the 26th president of the U.S. from 1901 to 1909. And he was the 25th vice president in 1901 and the 33rd governor of New York from 1899 to 1900. Very interesting. His face is also on Mount Rushmore alongside George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, and Abraham Lincoln. And I think that was a trick question on uh, Jeopardy or something recently, Yuval. Who was the, who were the four faces depicted on Mount Rushmore? And I think a lot of people were surprised that Teddy Roosevelt was there. Here is the quote Yuval has selected. It's six little words that pack a punch. Comparison is the thief of joy. Yuval, welcome to Game Changers Radio. How are you today? Excellent. Morning. Great to be here. 
Thank you so much. We're very pleased to have you. We'll talk a little bit later about your company. But tell me, how did you pick this quote? Comparison is the thief of joy. We're talking about CFOs. We're talking about planning. We're talking about hardcore finance, if you will. And here you've picked this beautiful quote. So help me out. How does this relate to our topic? So, so certainly, I mean, I love this quote partly because of what it means, I think, for people's personal happiness and, and motivation. But I actually find that it also speaks to a lot of the human biases that we have that come in the way of the best business plan uh, processes. And, you know, when it comes to CFOs, what they often have to help the businesses look for is the, the right discrete business dynamics that are happening in every one of each of their businesses and make sure that they are optimizing for what's right for themselves as opposed to optimizing for some relative uh, budget allocation that they deserve relative to something else. And they also need to optimize to make sure that just because a competitor is doing something, it doesn't mean that it's right for them. I think we see very often companies that just imitate uh, each other, not necessarily on the basis of um, strategic logic, but uh, any action that someone else follows suddenly becomes more valuable. Just like many of us tend to be motivated to go on diet when we compare ourselves to a friend who lost weight, very much so, businesses sometimes make the wrong business planning decisions uh, by comparing themselves to the wrong benchmark or by being influenced. But what is an inevitable uh, emotional uh, bias that every you know one of us have? Um, which obviously in quantitative uh, extreme can really rob uh, individuals of their happiness and can rob companies of the right value creation initiatives. Thank you very much. Good, good, uh, very good advice there, Yuval. Do you agree that CBP is a utopia? Is it far off? Is it a reality? Can CFOs say, wow, we're going to get there this year in 2018? What's your thought on that? Well, I certainly think that it is um, more of a stimulating concept than it is a reality. I think that very few organizations can really uh, flawlessly execute it. But I do think that the fact that so much more can be done today with collaboration tool and the right process, especially CFOs that are able to insist and, frankly, apply guardrails to make sure that Mm -hmm. more people are bringing each of them their individual inputs, they're also guiding them to um, decision-making in the right way. I think they can be a lot more effective. But I think the the old-school idea of a few executives sitting in a, in a boardroom and being detached from an organization and making decisions based on their pattern recognition is very risky as well. So I think the notion of bringing with you the full crowdsourcing capability of your organization uh, is very significant, very important for companies to go for, even if they don't take it to succeed. Thank you. Very interesting. I heard you insert that word crowdsourcing in there within the organization. That's an interesting concept, an interesting idea. Uh, it's probably a little more of a, of a revolutionary word than collaboration, but I know what you mean. Thank you, Yuval. Pleasure to meet you, and we're looking forward to a lot more from you. And now let me introduce our third panelist. He's waiting so patiently, Pras Chatterjee at SAP. And Pras has sent us a quote from Vince Lombardi. 
Vincent Thomas Lombardi, 1913 to 1970, American football player, coach, executive in the NFL, best known as the head coach of the Green Bay Packers in the 1960s, where he led the team to three straight and five total NFL championships in seven years, in addition to winning the first two Super Bowls at the end of the 1966 and 67 NFL seasons. Of course, Pross, I know all of this by heart because I'm such a football player. You can dream on. Uh, by the way, Lombardi never had a losing season as a head coach in the NFL, and I believe there is a Vince Lombardi rest stop on the New Jersey Turnpike. I'm pretty sure there is, and it has really good stuff there. So here's the quote. The greatest accomplishment is not in never failing, but in rising again after you fail. Pross, welcome to Game Changers. It's about time. How are you? Not too bad. How are you, Bonnie? I'm fine. Thank you for asking. I like your energy. Talk to me. How'd you pick a sports quote? And do you believe that I really know all these stats by heart, do you think? I'm going to guess you're a football fan, and I'm going to guess that Thanksgiving is a big day for you where you watch both games uh, back-to-back and uh, uh, you know have a great time with it. Um, hoping I'm not wrong with that. We'll we'll just pretend you're right. So <laughs> thank you very much. So talk to me about this quote. We've got the words failing in here, rising again. Who's failing and who's rising again? We're talking finance here. Go ahead, Press. Sure, absolutely. So I think uh, finance departments, especially the Office of CFO and those involved with uh, financial planning analysis, can take a lot away from sports teams uh, in the sense that, you know, if we look at uh, any sports team, whether it's football, baseball, um, hockey, the goal is to win the Super Bowl, the World Series, the Stanley Cup or whatnot, or the Champions League trophy, and only one team wins per year, and the other 29 or 30 teams have effectively failed or moved forward. But what they do at the end of the year, it's always documented in the media, is that they regroup, they think, they recalibrate, they try to learn from their mistakes, they add, make additions, make subtractions, revamp the strategy and do what they can the following year to move towards the end goal. And, uh, you know, finance departments often plan in a scheduled manner, which, you know, we could have a separate conversation about whether that's the right thing to do or not. Uh, but they do their annual budgets, their annual forecasts, and there's lots of trials and tribulations, the data that was missed, uh, forecasts or assumptions that were not taken into consideration, collaboration that just wasn't done. And effectively, by the time you finish your budget, it's wrong because, you know, reality has kicked in. Uh, but how often do finance departments actually uh, take the time to really do a revamp of, you know, what's, what happened, what worked, what didn't. And the reason I bring that up is oftentimes when I talk to finance departments about the latest in technology, whether it's the cloud, in-memory, new processes like collaborative business planning, I'll often get a feedback such as, uh, well, we tried that and it didn't work last time, so we're not going to go there. And, you know, I work for a technology company and my biggest competition is not my other competitors that we would think. It's really Microsoft Excel because many com- uh, companies are still lagging a big, uh, in you know, technology that's 30 years old and really doing a disservice to their business constituents because they're afraid to move forward because something didn't work one time. Thank you very much. That fear, is that, is that a paralyzing fear process? Is that something that stops them? They, they have to do the planning anyway, right? So what, what's your thought on that? Well, I think it is a paralyzing fear. It's almost like sticking with the status quo because if you try something different, there might be questions. Obviously, your day job is too hard as well, and there's lots of demands placed on you. So uh, why rock the boat? Let's stick with what we have. Let's stick with the status quo. People already understand the limitations behind that. 
why push the envelope further? So uh, I do feel that, you know, as finance departments become more, you know, uh, strive to become much more relevant, much become much more of a business partner, they'll have to, you know, move past the fear of failing and embrace the fact that they might fail, that there will be hiccups, there will be issues, there will mm-hmm. be deadlines missed, but that's okay as a part of evolving. Okay, thank you very much, Pras. Ed, do you think that it's a utopia to think about the CBP? Is it is it pie in the sky? I asked Nilly that question. And Yuval, what's your thought? Uh, sorry, you're asking Yuval or my, uh, me? I'm asking you, Pras. Yeah, I want to know. Do you, oh, okay, do you yeah, think sorry. it's is it real? That's yeah. okay. Is it realistic? Absolutely, I think it's realistic. I think it's realistic because. Uh, Finance departments are already somewhat doing it, but they don't realize it because when they try to do their annual plans, their budgets, their forecasts, or give guidance in a numerical manner or quantitative manner, they're trying to get inputs from the rest of the organization. But the reality is the quality of these inputs is probably not where it should be and where it can be. And by, and by adopting a process such as collaborative business planning, which they can lead, um, they're able to effectively uh, you know, add better color to these numbers, have better credibility behind it. The other thing about collaborative business planning um, is the word collaboration. It's not just a matter of, uh, as you've all said, crowdsourcing, bringing the numbers in, but it's mm-hmm. also a matter of communicating uh, with your business constituents, uh, having them have confidence in you as a business a finance department, as well as you trusting their numbers and being able to collaborate as an enterprise and work better. Thank you very much, Praz. Appreciate the insights. And now we're going to do a little up close and personal around the table very briefly. Nelia Sadies, where are you calling from today? And just give us a quick update on what you're doing at the Hackett Group. And also, we'd love to know what's your favorite drink. You know what's in your cup today. Or what are you dreaming? Speaking of dreaming, what are you dreaming about drinking after the show? Nilly? Uh, something different than I was drinking before. I, of course, um, Bonnie knows about what I drink. Um, and a couple couple of times ago, I was drinking a very strange-looking green smoothie that was mostly kale, which my family thought looked like swamp water. I've migrated <laughs> from that into a purple smoothie. And the reason is, uh, this is berry season in Oregon. I'm calling from Salem, Oregon. Ah. Um, and July is berry season. The blueberries are out in great quantities. And what I do is I buy four or five bags of five-pound um, blueberries, and I make smoothies out of the blueberries. So the color of the smoothie is really purplish, uh, very tasty. Um, and I can't dream of anything else. I think it's, it's pretty much the dream drink for, for the summer in Oregon. Blueberry um, dreams. I love, I love it. Yeah. It's fantastic. I recommend it for everyone. Um, and so that's what I'm drinking. I am the senior research director at the Hackett Group uh, for finance and EPM. Uh, that means I work with uh, a lot of data looking at what finance um, and FP&A is doing in terms of best practices, uh, process costs, so some cost and efficiency metrics, but a lot of um, practices, uh, what they're doing, what they want to be doing, um, and a lot of what we're looking at these days is exactly what we're talking about. Uh, there are practices in, um, because of automation, having more time to do more value-added stuff 
Um, and as a result, things like collaborating on a planning process. So I work with the advisors in the firm uh, to create research reports um, and uh, analysis to support our clients in helping them do what they do better. Thank you, Nilly. I'm dreaming of your purple smoothies. I'm in Durham, North Carolina. When I buy blueberries, it's in the little little containers, you know, the little uh, pint size or whatever. That's the best we can do. And I haven't made smoothies yet, but I'm I'm using uh, every day a little bit of banana and fresh raspberries and blueberries with a little bit of fat-free half and half, and that's my breakfast. And it's delicious. What can I tell you? Let's go to Yuval Atzman. Yuval, you're our newcomer here, one of our two newcomers today. We'd love to know where are you today? I know we called you. We'd love to know what your favorite drink is in the whole wide world. What powers you to be so smart? And tell us a little bit about your company. Go ahead, Yuval. Sure. So I'm being in London right now as opposed to Oregon. I'm obviously closer to the appropriate time of day of drinking my favorite drink, which is uh, wine. Um, somehow, I would say the one thing it shares with me is the color being between red and purple when it's uh, really intense and nice. Um, but I, uh, I am going to drink um, another couple of hours, uh, some of that. Um, and one of the, you know, I started working as a sommelier long ago, almost 25 years ago, um, and turned out to be the most expensive job I ever took because it, it became uh, an expensive hobby to, to maintain, to continue to drink good wines after working in a nice mm-hmm. restaurant and getting other people to pay for the wine itself earlier on. But I've also learned um, when you are uh, picking wine as your hobby, many of your um, the artisan who makes the wine are outstanding small businesses around the world with great passion and great stories, which actually links to what I'm doing today professionally in globality. I've spent 16 years at McKinsey, um, one of the leading consulting firms in the world, and I've left it to join globality, uh, where I lead the, the development of a marketplace that helps large companies to find, in many cases, alternatives to the big firms and help uh, small, outstanding uh, consulting and marketing and legal and HR and IT services and, and other small firms and services. Uh, we equally, just like the boutique winemakers, bring a lot of passion and expertise, mm-hmm. um, sometimes a lot harder to find than the big known brand and deliver great work um, we leverage technology and artificial intelligence to help clients define their needs and to find the best provider uh, at the right price for every work. Thank you very much. Pleasure to get to know you. Are you based in, in the UK, Yuval? Is that your home? Yes, I am. Yes, that's been my home for the last six years. Very nice. Thank you very much. Pleasure to have you on board. And now let's talk to Pras Chatterjee and get to know you a little bit. Pras, you and I, as I said, have been working together for years, but this is your first time. I was shocked because I see you on a lot of our prep calls, shocked that you haven't been on a show before. So long overdue. Where are you today, Pras? What's your favorite drink? And just give us a little overview of what you do at SAP. Go ahead, Pras. 
Well, thanks for having me, Bonnie. And I, I guess I'm smack dab in the middle. I'm in Toronto, Ontario, Canada right now, oh. enjoying some beautiful weather. Yeah. And uh, so before I get to my drink, um, so I am in product marketing, as you mentioned, at SCP, focusing on planning solutions. So a lot of what I do is really talk to organizations about how SCP can better help the Office of CFO and other finance departments really use technology to help their budgeting, planning, and forecasting processes move forward uh, that much better. But uh, when it comes to what I'm drinking, well, um, I'm going to address that in two parts. First is what I'd like to be drinking. Unfortunately, it's almost 11.30 Eastern just before lunch here, so I'd love to be having that glass of wine with you, Val, but um, I am drinking tea. <laughs> now, I've, I've got an interesting story behind this tea. I'm drinking um, Mariage Frere's French breakfast tea. Mariage Frere is this French tea house that I absolutely love, and it used to be somewhat readily available in Toronto, uh, but lately it's almost impossible to find. Um, So last month I was at a conference in the U.S. and I knew a colleague was coming from France. So in the day, in the age of trade and barter and embargoes, uh, him and I came up with a little deal uh, whereby I brought him uh, Canadian maple syrup and he brought me some Mariage Frere French breakfast tea. Uh, Now his was harder to source because he had to go to the actual Mariage Frere store, uh, get a certain quantity, bring it over. But that's what I'm enjoying. And it's this great blend of uh, uh, malt and chocolate and tea all together. It's a really wonderful way to start off the day. Oh, that sounds delicious. Malt and chocolate and in tea? Seriously. Would you send me some information on that? Would you email that to me at my SAP email address? I would love to know about that. I'm what's known as a chocoholic, but I'm now on a a special eating program. We'll just call it that instead of a DIET. And I have reduced my chocolate intake to just two teaspoons of, of unsweetened cocoa with a teaspoon of agave syrup. Mix it with a little hot water to make a syrup. Add 1% milk, about four ounces, microwave it, and then I treat myself to a little bit of whipped cream out of the, uh, you know, the spray can. And oh, that's good. Ooh, that but sounds tea, great. It, it actually is pretty good. I have two of those a day instead of four milkshakes. And Nilly, yes, I haven't put the blueberries in, in anything yet because I'm not supposed to blend them. I'm supposed to eat them one at a time. It takes longer that way. So what, the, what Nilly knows and Pras and Yuval don't is that they don't let me anywhere near caffeine on radio show days. So all I'm allowed to have is a glass of cool, clear water when I'm hosting radio. And I'm happy to be here with the three of you. I think we're going to take a 60-second break just to regroup here and give you all a chance to have something to refresh, as we used to say, wet your whistle, and then we're going to come back with a lot more. To our listeners, we're talking about a very interesting topic here. What's going on with your planning? Is it collaborative? Is something called collaborative business planning truly the CFO's utopia? Is it real? Is it an internal crowdsourcing process, as you've also so uh, beautifully put? Or is it something that you're not quite sure you really want to know what everybody has to say about it? Are you sitting high and dry in an isolation booth doing it without all of your lines of business? We're going to dive a little more deeply into this topic when we come back. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Mad out. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. 
and you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. In your business, are you on top of your PR game? PR is what tells your story. Whether it's the business itself, key people in your business, or showing your best face to the public, listen for the brand ambassadors. Host Merritt Hamilton Allen with co-host Gary Potterfield will discuss effective presentation ideas, building your personal brand, risk management, crisis communication, and more. Focus your business goals and PR resources. Listen live Fridays at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Welcome back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Comments, questions? Send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the show at hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers. Welcome back. This is Financial Excellence with Game Changers, speaking today with Nilly Asades at the Hackett Group, Yuval Atzmon at Globality, and Prost Chatterjee at SAP. And I'm still Bonnie D. Graham. Very interesting topic, collaborative business planning. Put that in your alphabet soup, CBP. Is it, in fact, a CFO's utopia? We're still trying to decide that. We're going to launch into our roundtable right now, and Nilly has sent me the following statement. Let's see where it takes us. She says, the enterprise planning and performance management capability has become a critical differentiator in today's fast-changing business environment. Nilly, why don't you tell us more, please? Yes, I think um, when we talk about collaboration in planning, we have to talk about the enterprise performance management capability or EPM, um, which is uh, part of the FP&A function or what the FP&A function does. And it's critical because things are really changing very fast today. Disruptive technologies are coming in, changing the business landscape. We have new business models popping up everywhere, um, new competitors. So the pressure to keep up and even anticipate what's going to happen, what your customers are going to want, what competitors you're going to face is becoming uh, very, uh, very strong and, and very imminent and demands a response. And the, real, the only way to really respond to that is to plan better. So we have the EPM capability of the company becoming a critical factor. We have done a study. I can't share all the results because they're proprietary. But what we did find is that organizations with superior EPM capabilities actually perform better in the stock market. So there's a financial return on planning better and forecasting better and doing performance analysis better. And that should be, you know, it shows that um, by doing these processes better, by integrating the way you plan, you get a return in the way, uh, in shareholder value. And that's very important to keep in mind if you're wondering whether it's a utopia or not a utopia, 
those companies that are already doing it are seeing very nice payoffs. And I think one part of the study that we did shows that when uh, FP&A is the leading organization, is the orchestrator of that collaboration, uh, it assigns the accountability for the various parties that are involved. Because obviously, when you collaborate, you have multiple parties from different parts of the organization, somebody from marketing, somebody from sales, somebody from the operations. Everybody needs to work together. Somebody needs to be leading this group, and FP&A um, and the EPM process are the, are the kind of the design authority for that for for the collaboration, and when they are, the organization performs better. Thank you, Nilly. Great overview for this part of our discussion. Yuval Atzmon, love to get your thoughts on what Nilly said. Agree or disagree? I completely agree with what Nilly was saying in terms of the importance of uh, business planning and resource allocation in um, differentiating yourself and creating value. Um, you know, as it happens, we're living in a very dynamic environment. There's a lot of changes in the external uh, environment. There's a lot of uh, uncertainty and competitive uh, moves. And companies are able to capitalize on where they're stronger and where they're building on momentum in the market and move uh, resources accordingly and swiftly are able to um, exceed quite significantly uh, returns in a consistent way over their competitors they don't. And that inertia drives their businesses. Thank you very much. Pras Chatterjee, join us. Thoughts, please. Agree or disagree with either of the two? Yeah, I agree and somewhat disagree as well. So I agree with everything that was said, but I also feel that it can be expanded on uh, in the sense that um, absolutely digital transformation and digital tools are disrupting the economy and the way uh, finance has to help do planning. I mean, we, we've all heard uh, over and over about how, you know, there's technology such as Uber and Airbnb that disrupt the way you know, traditional businesses have been done. But I think another area that we, you know, um, as finance departments need to be a lot more cognizant of is, you know, probably the geopolitical state of the world. Um, obviously, things are changing globally. Uh, uh, you know, tweets can, you know, really uh, take, you know, a company's stocks up and down. And really, it comes down to finance to be able to address what the impact of tariffs are, what the impact of commodity prices going up and down are, and really being able to model and address it immediately. I remember when I was in finance, uh, there'd be a time where, uh, you know, I, I, I actually love to say that I was probably one of the worst financial analysts of all time, because <laughs> every time someone came to me as a financial analyst and said, hey, can you give me this you know, new uh, upside, downside, this new scenario based on these things that are happening, my favorite and only response was, I'll get back to you. And I'll get back to you does not work in this day and age because no. you've got to be able to provide an immediate And as a finance department, you can't, I mean, querying that answer is one thing, but it's almost like you have to stay ahead of that answer and being able to anticipate everything. And I think a lot of that is what Nilia talked about as well, having access to all this data and making use of that data and making use of that data in terms of not just what's happening in your organization, but what's happening outside of your organization, whether it's digital transformation or disruption, uh, geopolitical or commodity prices, anything and everything that could impact you at any point in time. Thank you, Pras. Great roundtable beginning. Nilly, great topic. Yuval, I'm looking at your notes, and I'm going to introduce a new word here. I'm looking at your first point you sent me. Let me read a little bit, and then you can expand for us. You say business and financial planning must overcome inertia, and you mentioned this before. To maximize returns, companies should be constantly shifting money 
talent and management attention to where they will deliver the most value. Many don't. And the word I want to introduce here is reallocator. You say within 20 years, the dynamic reallocator will be worth twice as much as its less agile counterparts. Talk to us about this. How how do you get a company, and I know you, you're going to cite a, a study from uh, McKinsey saying that 1%, uh, a third of the companies that analyze reallocated just 1% of capital year to year over a 20-year period. The average is 8%. Yuval, what does this all mean? When I was at McKinsey, we did an analysis of uh, more than um, a thousand uh, companies over a period of 20 years that indeed looked at how much capital they were moving every year. And the first thing we found is that the best predictor of how much capital they're going to spend in different parts of the business um, every year was how much they spent the year before. As you said, only um, I mean, 1%, sorry, a third of them barely moved more than 1%. Um, the ones that moved more, and typically dynamic reallocators, we thought about it, were companies that were shifting just 10% of the business. But, of course, over time, that becomes very significant if you do so every year dynamically in your capital allocation. We're actually able not only to uh, grow their business and return twice as much uh, to shareholders, but also when you look at the distribution of those companies, they actually had a lower standard deviation, which is to say that it ended up being less risky. We often think about the fact that if you're changing your allocation, you might uh, be taking bigger risk. You might be bolder as a company. But in fact, what typically happens is the opposite. You're more likely to be responding. Uh, in many cases, the biggest uh, risk you can do is not act on what is happening around you. And companies that were acting and were acting sometimes uh, boldly ended up with significantly uh, better results. And I think it speaks to a very significant challenge that companies have to overcome, and I touched on some of that even when I was referencing the Teddy Roosevelt uh, quote, that the decision-making is influenced by a lot of different agendas of executives and businesses, and it's very hard to take money away from executives, and certainly taking away 10% of your budget and giving it to someone else. Is very significant, but mm-hmm. that's sometimes the right thing to do. In fact, even more so than that, in order to cultivate the areas of your business that are exposed to better market trends and you're delivering better competitive performance, and you can, that way, generate a lot better return to shareholders. Thank you. Very interesting. I, I was very intrigued when you said it's hard to give away your, your budget. How, how do people get around that? How do they say, Okay, it's for the good of the business. We understand we got to move the value around. Okay, we got to reallocate. Is that something that's a, a, a kicking, a kicking and a moaning and a fighting kind of a thing when you take budget away from one one you, you take it out of one hand to give it to the other? You Val. So, so certainly, if you leave it to market forces, this is like expecting kids to give up their candy. Uh, it's uh-huh. not going to work. So someone, whether it's a CFO or the CEO or the combination of both, need to play a role in that. Um, one of the things that I've seen that work really nicely is when you actually have the group work through data about different parts of the business when some of it is disguised. People sometimes are willing to make very uh, aggressive choices against themselves when they don't know it's their own business. Um, and there are, of course, other ways that people institute in their businesses things like every year, actually, you only get 90% of the budget or only 5% of the budget, and some of it is only for strategic investment, or they say there's cost-cutting initiatives, 
that all go into new businesses. And, you know, there's various ways of doing that, but certainly someone needs to apply the rule of law. It's very, very unlikely that uh, business leaders on their own will give away money. And, in fact, not because they're being selfish. Most of them and most of us are overconfident of this normal bias, and we think that if you give the money for us, we'll do a lot better. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like drivers think that, you know, each of them is better than 95% of other drivers. Very well put. I'm thinking of how the word collaboration can go out the window when you say, okay, Bob, you're giving 80% of your budget to Mary. Okay, Mary, you're giving 23% to Joan. Okay, Joan, you're giving 18% to, to Tom. And I'm uh, never mind. I could just see it around the table. People saying, what, you wanted us to collaborate? This is how you show your appreciation? Let me get Pras to chime in on here. Pras, what do you think about the reallocator in terms of the, the successful planner that, that is going to survive longer in business? Yeah, I, I think uh, Yuval made a great point, and I actually, as Yuval was speaking, I was waiting for him to address who would be responsible for this in the organization, and he did talk with the CEO or the CFO, um, and I think it's a brilliant plan. Um, the idea, again, I think the challenge is who will actually be the one to help reallocating resources, because I think we all have self-serving biases where we see, as you all mentioned, uh, you know, 95% of drivers think they're better than everybody else, and that's clearly not the case. And, you know, I know in my case, when I'm given a budget and someone's telling me that they want to reallocate part of it, you know, I think that I can do a lot better with that than somebody else. Uh, but bringing that back to collaboration, I think the idea is, you know, if we're talking about the fin- Office of CFO and financial planning and analysis, uh, if a finance department is going to be more strategic, I think for them to be strategic, it's also about not just allocating resources, but looking at the value of this allocation, as you've all mentioned, uh, seeing, you know, previous budgets that have been allocated on these, me- you know, on uh, current metrics have been me- meeting the mark or missing the mark. And if it's missing the mark, you know, work in a strategic and collaborative and maybe the term is political manner to help allocate the budget from the right area, you know, from the wrong area to the right area. So it's better for the organization as a whole. Thank you very much. Great insights, and I'm glad we had some good uh, good parallel thinking there with you and you, Val. Nilly, I know you want to talk. What do you think? No, I won't talk. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think I think a couple of things. I think there's, um, first of all, you got to have a sort of a cultural mind shift and change the organization's mindset from a... Um, kind of an intuitive organization to one that is driven by data um, and driver-based models because when SPNA works collaboratively and looks across the enterprise um, for data to support data models that shows the impact of business decisions on financial performance, it can come up with good explanations for why resources should be allocated one way or another. So the first thing to do is to have a good, solid understanding of performance um, and then use that to look forward using things like advanced analytics tools and predict performance and say, well, if we move 5% into this area, we are going to see a 10% increase in sales. Um, That's a hard argument for um, anyone to ignore, CFO or CEO, um, and one that the business leaders may not like, but would be, um, it would be hard-pressed to uh, ignore. The other thing is uh, to process point, and hi, Brass, I haven't talked to you in a long time. Very nice mm-hmm. to hear your voice. Um, 
it's um, is the fact that you've got to have um, somebody in charge, um, some entity or process owner in charge of um, pushing for that. And I've seen in some organizations the establishment of the Office of Innovation, uh, Office of Transformation, uh, somebody whose job is to constantly look around and see how to shift the allocation of resources so that the company stays agile and reinvests its capital in the right way for the future, given how things are moving, given digital transformation and its disruption. So two things, how you um, arrive at the decision using data and driver-based modeling, and then having some ownership of the decision of how to reallocate the resources. Thank you very much, Nelly. Great points. And uh, in the interest of time, I'm going to go right to a topic here from Pross. And uh, let's see, Pross, uh, you have a no excuses comment here. I want to read this. You say, the technology is here, in-memory tools, visualization, the cloud is the cloud. And here's the mantra. You say, we don't need to make excuses that it's not available or too expensive. The challenge now is to move past excuses and for finance to lead with collaborative business planning. Are they still making those excuses, Pross? What do you observe? You know, companies that are not, um, I guess, best in class, which is probably in the majority, are still making excuses. You know, unfortunately, in my role, I come across organizations that are having challenges, and I still hear these excuses about how, oh, we can't afford this technology, we can't do this, we can't do that. And you don't have to start uh, with, you know, a massive overhaul. As Millie pointed out, uh, data exists in every organization, and it's about how you make use of that data. Um, I think finance departments have an opportunity at this time to be a leader in the organization. Uh, often the way I come from a finance background and accounting background, and the way I was trained was really to uh, look at a set of numbers and reflect upon what's happened. Well, how does that happen in an organization right now? Uh, your books are closed, you wait five days, and you reconcile your numbers, then you advise on what happened over the last 37, 38 days. Well, guess what? By that time, um, if you're in a very competitive industry, your competitors have moved forward. They've made decisions on the fly and things of that nature. Uh, if we know that in-memory technology exists where it allows you to consume data immediately um, in a real-time basis, if you know that powerful visualization tools exist where you don't have to make Excel bars and charts and really uh, craft a picture whereas the picture might already be crafted for you, if as a finance department you take advantage of all of this technology that's available and you move ahead and you basically in the middle of the month, on the, in the middle of the week, you basically take action and you basically stand at the you know, front of the boat and you address all your business constituents and say, hey, this is your chart, we've, uh, this is the course you charted and it's not going to work because of X, Y, and Z and these are the proof points, which by the way are very easy to consume and I can share with everyone because it looks appealing um, aesthetically, well, you're able to be a much better and smarter finance department versus the one sitting at the back of the boat and telling everybody, stating the obvious. Thank you very much, Pras. Let's go around the table and see what Nilly and then you all think about. It's time for no excuses. The tech is there. It's affordable. It's available. Nilly, what do you see? I think Pras is absolutely right. The technology is available. I think a lot of the frustration has been trying to build this sort of maybe utopian idea of trying to build one central data warehouse 
Um, and, and people have tried to build all the pipes that feed the warehouse, and that's proven very expensive and time-consuming. But there are new technologies. There's the cloud. There are data lakes. There are data marts. Um, there are new technologies that make it easier to reach and sometimes virtual ways reach data across the organization and feed the conversations that finance needs to have. Um, and finance should certainly take the lead in pulling together data from different parts of the organization so it can not be, it doesn't, it's not behind. It's not just looking at what happened in the last 30, 90 days. It has that information, but using in memory or even before you get to that high-level point, using what you've got, you're able to look forward, you're able to make decisions about what's going to happen, and you don't, you're ahead of the competition or you definitely keep pace with the competition because to press point, if you're just looking backwards, you're going to lose. You're, going to, you're not going to thrive in this economy. You're going to become irrelevant. Thank you very much. Yuval, ready for you. What do you think? Well, I mean, I, of course, I agree with um, what Prof and Neely was saying in terms of the importance of this, and also this organization needs to find a ways to have no excuses in technology. Certainly shouldn't be any more bottleneck. Technology in many organizations already enables them to do more than they're doing, and, and if they've not fully implemented some additional technology tools, that's not as difficult or as expensive to do as it was just a few years ago. But I still think just like having a calendar on the cloud doesn't mean you make all your meetings on time, you still see a lot of organizational reasons why people and culture, as we talked earlier, don't take advantage of those tools. And I think that it's not just because they don't want to comply. In many cases, it's because they don't understand how what they're doing is being used. It's not enough to delegate assignment and give people finance data to feel or assumptions to make, you need to actually, if you really want to make the process collaborative, or if we dare say earlier, uh, as we did crowdsource, you need to make sure that people understand, one, what they're doing, how it gets used, and two, that they actually see back some of the results and some feedback on what they did. And it requires a significant change in many finance departments from being the police that collects the data and then makes decisions in even rooms to a much more transparent process and a service-oriented function for the benefit of the business that don't only make the right capital allocation decisions for the business, but also educate the business and how it's done. Thank you very much, Yuval. You know what? We are at the point in the show where we want to look ahead. I think we've been doing that, actually, during the whole conversation, but we want to move over to our crystal ball prediction round. And we have enough time left for, I think, about 90 seconds for each of you, which is what Nilly knows that's a lot of time for predictions. So I'm going to ask you all to put on your crystal ball predictions hat, your thinking cap, whatever you want to call it. And let's try to focus on, um, Nilly, are you good with 2025? Is that too far out? Or can we talk about what's going to happen in terms of collaborative business planning by 2025? Sure. We can talk okay. about that. 
Um, so ninety seconds. Tell us if we met again, and I certainly hope we do. You and Yuval and uh, Pras and me. If we met again at some point in the future, and uh, all of I, you know what that means. It should be twenty twenty five. We should all still be talking to each other. Um, what would you say about this? Will it be a reality? Will utopia have happened? Will it be nirvana for CFOs? Will we be seeing dynamic reallocation as Yuval? And I'll let him talk about that. Nilly, 60, 90 seconds, go. I think with the advent of technologies, as we were speaking about, and the uh, accessibility to greater and greater amounts of data, both internal uh, and external, which support the planning process and the mind shift that we've been talking about, the cultural change in the mindset of the organization and specifically in the way finance thinks about its role from that of a gatekeeper to that of a strategic partner of the organization. With all that, we're going to see a much greater adoption um, of collaborative business planning, a much greater, a greater prevalence of the practice um, using technology, but also um, the kind of talent management that's required to educate the people um, in the organization about collaboration, break down silos, um, and increase communication and knowledge management across the enterprise. And that's going to be a reality for a lot of companies. Not everyone. It's never 100% right. Um, I'm not sure it's utopia, but it's certainly a great way to deal with the incredibly rapidly changing environment of business that we see today and will only get more rapidly changing in the future. Thank you, Nilly. Let's turn to Yuval Atzman. Yuval, I have 90 seconds for you. What do you see coming down the pike? Well, I do think that technology um, is going to change in a matter of 10 years a lot more than any estimate. I think we're at a tipping point in some technologies that um, will completely transform how this is done. And, you know, one way I think it is conceptually is that the, the real CFO, the C-suite, 10 years from now might actually be a virtual one that has a much better capability of um, with, you know, powerful artificial intelligence that is likely going to be as we continue the development, still 200 times stronger than what it is today, to collect a lot more of the data and use that to force the management team, hopefully, although I, I doubt that they would always rely just on that, to make decisions that are much more based on facts and that actually allow to harness uh, the full knowledge across the company, some of which would be artificially done and much of it would still you know, be dependent on human uh, decisions but really bringing the power of both uh, and driving uh, much better allocation and much better planning uh, decisions. Thank you very much, Yuval. And I have 90 seconds with Pras Chatterjee's name on them. Pras, what do you see coming down the pike and you want to go out to 2025? Or how far in the future can you predict what's going to happen with our topic of CBP? Yeah, let's do 2025. So, I mean, uh, we've been talking about collaborative business planning and how it's something the organization, enterprise, needs to embrace. And I think most organizations, if not all, are somewhat on their way. Uh, if you look at different departments across an organization, sales is doing uh, sales compensation planning, the sales territory, territory planning, their incentive compensation planning, uh, marketing doing is doing their marketing spend, their marketing programs, they're tracking against those programs and such. Um, 
IT is, you know, calculating assets and depreciation and such. So everybody's doing a budget of some sort. And it's really a matter of bringing it all together. And I think the finance department has the ability through technology to bring it all together and provide meaningful insights. Maybe it's things like making sure that when marketing is doing their marketing spend and campaigns, that aligns with the sales goals and such. When there's an SNOP type uh, process going on, sales and operations planning, that those are numbers that have been reconciled are communicated down to finance, and those are the numbers given to the CFO as part of the forecast. You know, effectively, technology, I think, will bring it all together. Uh, but the idea, I think, is that, um, you know, again, it's for finance to bring all this information together in a collaborative manner. But I think collaboration also means one more thing. It's about being able to make decisions on the fly. It's not about scheduled annual plans and budgets and forecasts. It's about, you know, being able to use chat, uh, chat functionality, uh, communication tools to be able to, you know, say, hey, look, we were doing this as part of a budget. That pro- you know, this process is broken. We now have these insights. Let's change it on the fly. And as a finance department, really being able to collaborate not just across the enterprise, but collaborate immediately as well. Thank you very much, Pras. Well done. I want to thank our three esteemed panelists, Nilly Asades at the Hackett Group. I finally learned how to pronounce your name, Nilly. Yuval Atzmon at Globality and Pras Chatterjee at SAP. Shout out to Chris Grundy at SAP for putting together this wonderfully smart panel. Really appreciate it, Chris. And Matt and the Business Channel team for getting us on the air and keeping us there. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's Mike. Call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Even in Utopia, you're probably going to need a seatbelt. Go out and be a game changer today, just like Nilly, just like Yuval, just like Pras. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to run simple. To keep the conversation going, Tweet your questions and comments to hashtag SAPRADIO and join host Bonnie D. Graham Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time, here on the Business Channel. Wishing you a game-changing week.